0: Welcome to the Performance Connection Podcast, the show where we connect you to the highest quality information and leading professionals in the world of human performance. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. Welcome back to another episode of the Performance Connection Podcast. Today, I am joined by Shane McLean. Shane, how are you, man?
1: I'm good, man. It's an honor to be here. Thank you, Corey, for having me on.
0: Yes, absolutely. It's a, it's a definitely an honor to have you on. And I, I should tell you, you know, you might be interested in this. Australia is the third highest listening country of the Performance Connection podcast.
1: But you have it so at least at third year, we'll be able to understand what I'm saying.
0: And and I'm also expecting that to 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 spike the listenership and maybe surpass the UK. So. No pressure, no pressure.
1: Pressure's on, let's go.
0: All right, Shane. <laughs> let's, before we dive in today, let's go Go ahead and, yeah, give your background and your journey so far in the, the world of fitness and coaching and then what you are currently doing today.
1: Okay. So, got, I mean, I got into personal training like probably everybody gets into personal training because, you know, you like working out. So, that kind of... From there, I started to read more stuff and try writing my own programs and all that kind of stuff, and then I thought, well, I could turn this passion into a profession, so I started to be a personal trainer. I was fortunate enough that Ace at the time had a stay-at-home certification course because I was raising two kids, so I... When they slept, I studied. When they didn't Mm. sleep, I didn't study. And then I was very fortunate enough that I knew people to get my first job in a commercial gym where I worked for about seven years before I got fired, unfortunately. And then from there, I really just gathered the dislike for working in commercial gyms. Like I think a lot of personal trainers think they can – go out on their own and, and not, you know, have to work for a commercial gym and split the profits and all that kind of stuff. And that was me. Moved to Louisiana five years ago and thought, what the heck, I'll open up a gym in a place that doesn't know me. Why not? Sounds like a great idea. Why not? Why not? Sounds like a great idea. Oh, during that time, I started, started dabbling in writing. And basically, I started writing because you know I wanted to get basically wanted to get more clients. I had no intention of getting paid yeah. for it or anything like that. I just thought, hey, start up a blog, why not? So I did that. I didn't have much of a background in writing at all, but I had a passion for fitness. And one transferred over to the other. Yeah. So now I've been running my own gym for about four years just over four years and now i've been fortunate enough probably for about three or four years that i'm being paid to write and being paid to write is how i ended up meeting you
0: absolutely that is how we got connected yeah our our mutual friend and very early podcast guest mike t nelson is how how I, I don't know if you remember how we, we got connected. I saw Mike tagged you. I'm like, hey, who's this guy? Who's, and then I, I saw all your writing. I'm like, wow, this guy writes for a lot. And you know, I'm obviously in the writing space as well and more on the obviously the publishing book side. But I just had a general interest in, in what you what you had going on. So, so, Shane, have you only been in the States then since you moved to Louisiana?
1: No, I've, I've been here since 2001
0: gotcha so but the the writing then is actually pretty i mean fairly recent in the in the grand scheme of things
1: yes Yes. so i was i mean i was fortunate enough to do a lot of guest posts particularly for tony Mm -hmm. who the audience might know and tony is the best and so I, i mean i remember I, I, I probably I had a bunch of guests post on Tony's side, so and I remember asking Tony, "Do you think I'm good enough to get paid to do this?" And he said, "Yeah, yeah sure, why not?" <laughs> so don't want really to get it bore your audience too much, but I reached out to a bar band editor on Twitter, a guy called Nick English, and he's he's been around the space for for a while. Okay, Nick English is also Australian, which I didn't know. So I sent out a random message on Twitter to Nick English. Thinking I'd never hear back from him, and he replied, and he said, "Yeah, sure. Who did you write for?" And I said, "Oh, I wrote for Tony the guest post." And he said, "Okay, oh, let's go." That's how I started. Just, just random, just very, very, very random. So it was, that's how I got my start writing, writing for, writing for bar band. So that was, I mean, just yeah. luck. And then and that new Tony, so. Yeah, That was so. That was, that was yeah. Simple. I mean,
0: it's also down. leveraging connections, though, right? I mean, that's that's really what this podcast is all about, as far as like connecting and making connections and connecting people to, you know, the leaders in the in the world of fitness and and performance. But I would say, Shane, I've made my my network in a very similar way, where it's just like I was just was never afraid to to reach out. Because quite honestly, the worst that can really happen is assuming you're, you reach out in a professional way, like the worst that can happen is they just don't respond. Like that's really it or say, no, like I don't have time to, to talk to you or whatever. And when I was a professor, I just started doing that. And, you know, I don't know if you remember this or you experienced this at all, but when I was coming up in strength and conditioning in like the mid late 2000s if you wrote an email to a coach and he's probably going to be the head strength coach at a power five football program, you were just like hoping and praying that they got back to you because it was rare that anyone did. And I don't know why strength and conditioning was like that, but it just was. And I think, I think this is one of the good things of social media that it has, you know, obviously there's drawbacks and, and we're probably not going to get too much into that today, but The benefit is it it does make it a lot easier to reach out to people. And because you can, to a degree, see what someone else is doing, it makes, I guess, kind of humanizes, so to speak, the person who is either reaching out to you or vice versa. And people are way more apt to get back to you. And actually, podcasting was a massive help in building my network because I would listen to a podcast. I would reach out to that person on social media or if they're a professor, I'd look up their email. And then I would say, hey, I listened to your podcast. Here are one, and I would specifically name one to two things that I liked about the podcast or that I learned from it to show that I listened and that it wasn't just like a, a random, oh yeah, I listened. So that they you know, knew that, yes, I invested time in this and I'm interested. And then I would ask if they would follow up could follow up with like a 30 minute phone call and almost every almost every time I think people got back to me so like yes it seems like luck and it seems like chance but at the same time you know you were you know you know Tony was very gracious in in letting you write for him you did the work and then because of that connection you reached out to, to to Nick and that's just kind of how it works. And kind of simple, that, right? I, I just like shared my biggest networking secret right there.
1: Yeah, I think that was a great explanation. I think where a lot of people get tripped up, is they, they think they can go to A to Z instead of A to B. When it mm. comes to time of building your network mm. and all that kind of stuff, you just, it takes time, right? And you have to yeah, be, no doubt. You have to be gracious and you have to, basically give a lot and not take anything and not ask anything of yeah. the other person. Right. I think, I mean, even sh- shoot, I get so many emails a day saying, do this for me. And I don't even know the person yeah. never been introduced to them in their life. They're mm-hmm. asking me to do something for them. So it's, like, it's just a, ro- I don't see why it happens a lot today. It's like you have to develop a relationship. Right. You can't jump from A to Z all the time. And that's, and, and it just, I Mm -hmm. mean, it it baffles me. It frustrates me because it took me so long for this to happen for me. I mean, I wrote for probably seven or eight years before I even got paid for it and I was, shit, Mm. I was, I wrote for church newsletters and, and that kind of thing i i mean you have to you have to take the time to obviously to develop your network and to also develop your craft um because you you're not going to be absolutely. great absolutely yeah right and the, think they can can and you can't
0: for sure and and that that's actually you know honing those like skills is definitely something i want to dive into today before we get there i just want to so from Barbend you I I mean you write for Muscle and Fitness, you write for a number of different outlets. So from there did it just kind of snowball or how how did you get connected I guess in a general sense to like all the various outlets you write for now?
1: I think because I was prolific at the start that People saw my mm-hmm. stuff on Warband and started reaching out to me, which is great. Mm. Obviously. I've also, going back to your developing your network, you know, I've had people use my name very friendly to get me work. David Ote is one, Andrew Coates is mm-hmm. another that your audience might know. Those people are. Yep. That's me. David Ote referred me to Garage Gym Reviews. And David O'Tay is terrific mm-hmm. in his own right and obviously you know yep, he's absolutely so when when people use your name like that, it's also an honor, but it's also a responsibility because they're putting their ass on the line too when they when they say, Hey, this person is a great fit for you why don't you contact them and they're like, Okay. So that's also a response. I mean it's it's an honor and it's also a, a responsibility. So yeah, that, it, that's 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 how I basically started, snowballed from there because, like I said, we you develop relationships with people, people use your name friendly, and then you're like bang, from there. So again, that's how I got the my muscle and fitness because the editor, Ben, the, the big editor and chief Andrew Gutman, basically said, "Well, I work with Jeff Tonka." Jeff Tomko is the the editor at muscle and fitness. So I reached out to Jeff and it took him about three or four months, but we finally got on the same page and now I'm a regular on muscle and fitness. Luck it definitely has a part to play, for sure.
0: So all those reasons are are really why I thought of you for this topic today. So the topic that we're gonna we're gonna discuss today is communicating health and fitness information. And you know, I'm primarily thinking here. You know, the, the primary audience for this podcast are other coaches, other trainers. So the the audience we're communicating to that I'm, that I'm going for here is like our clients or the general general public, general population, who, you know, fitness is like way might be down the list of priorities for them or like down the list of things that they're interested in. Yet, they know they sh- they should probably. do do more of it or that it should be a bigger part of their life but you know at the same time it's it's just not a priority for them or it's not interest like it would be for people like like you and I so i would say like the way you, a lot of your writing is a little more for that population like you obviously write to professionals but the way that you you're just, you're just very prolific at so many different topics and areas and I was very curious to talk to you about how you've developed this communication or how what you've found over the years to really resonate with a broad audience or the audience of you uh, know more than the general population. So I guess the first question I'll ask you here is was this was this something that throughout your career you had a little bit of a light bulb moment where you thought, oh, man, I've if I'm talking to someone without a fitness background, I've really got to change or adapt how I talk, the words that I use, the things I emphasize, the things I highlight, things like that. Or was it something you really understood from the get go and have have always thought was really, really important or something that you realized you needed to to focus on?
1: I think I think. No coach gets that from the get go, right? We, I mean, when we when we look, when we first start our craft, and we 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 know all the jargon and find mm-hmm. smart and intelligent to our clients, and we use things like hip adduction, abduction, mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff, and that's that jargon is over a lot of people's heads. It used to be over the top of my head. And I remember reading men's health and all that kind of stuff. And they would use that type of joke and then I would be lost. I would I have no idea what these movements were or what, you know, what they've entailed. I'd have to look it up on Google. And that you, don't, you don't want
0: to
1: have <laughs> one of your clients to have to do that or, the, or your potential clients and all your people who are reading to do that. So I, I was lucky at the very early on when I was starting as a trainer, that the personal trainer development center by John Goodman came online. And so John yep. was big at the start with basically saying, your clients don't understand any of your jargon. Don't know what the hell you're talking about. You're going to have to, you're going to have to find a way to explain stuff simply. And I think, was it, This quote's been banded around. Like Albert Einstein says, if you can't explain something simply at all, then you have gaps in your knowledge. So if you're if a Mm, coach if you're using jargon and, and that kind of stuff, and jargon it has its place. I don't want to upset anybody. For sure. Because we take a long time to learn these things. And we can use it among coaches, obviously. But if you if you can't explain the other side of it, then you need to go back and make up for the gaps in your knowledge. So with me, I mean, because training in a a one-on-one environment, like a lot of of coaches still do, you know, one-on-one training is not there. You know, your clients always ask questions. They're like, well, why are we doing this? What is this working? You know, and you're like, well, if you start breaking out the jargon, saying this, that, joint angles, all that kind of stuff, what kind of look are you going to get on the client's face? They're going to be like, what the hell are you talking about? Right. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. So I think learning, learning to explain stuff simply, I think it's a skill. Right. Cause you're going to, you, you 100% be- it is.
0: Right. So. Yeah. I think
1: with, with me, And probably with a lot of other coaches who write, I mean, one feeds the other. So being the best, I think the best thing about creating content, about writing, particularly for coaches, is being able to organize your thoughts. Organizing your thoughts is a a great thing, particularly when you're asked to explain something. And it's just now for me, it's automatic because I've done it a lot. Other coaches, maybe not so much, but the act of the act of writing organizes your thoughts, right? And then when you're asked a question, particularly in the age of Google, you can't bullshit people nowadays, right? Because if you if you make mm. something up, mm-hmm. they're going to know. So I think being being able one feeds being able to do that is great, and I think. I mean, I know a lot of coaches think they I mean, they don't need to write or don't need to be a great writer. And and that is true, particularly in the age of social media, you can write your short little social media posts. But I think the act of writing really helps organize your thoughts. And I think organizing your thoughts as a coach is a good thing because we have a lot of stuff getting thrown at us, going on, bang, bang, bang. So being able to kind of filter that out and organize your thoughts and, and and another thing taking what you need from the information is is a good thing for coaches, definitely. did that make any yeah, sense? Yeah
0: you yeah, know, you made so many great points, and I will totally concur with the writing equal organizing your thoughts because obviously i'm I'm an editor, so I'm dealing with you know a lot of writers authors who are who are doing this on the book level which is a ta- it's a monumental task like there's just no way around it I don't care what the topic of the book is or how straightforward it is or or whatever but you know an article you got to do it you know I guess preferably on Inst- I know Instagram you can do whatever but Instagram if you want to write a good post I think there's an element of it you know I I recently listened to Peter asked and I, I'm not a regular listener of his, but the topic of one of his most recent ones was really interesting to me because he he outlined the the entire process for publishing his book, his new book, and one of the things he said that hit me like a brick was, you can't write well unless you think well, and you can't think well unless you write well, and I was like, whoa, that that is, that just is, yeah. Uh, no, right? It's very profound because they do, like you said, they inform each other. So, you know, I, I used to kind of think, cause I was a professor. So I did a lot of lecturing, you know, and I always kind of thought, Oh, if you can lecture, if you can present, you can write, it's pretty much the same thing. And it's not, it totally is not the same thing. So you, just because you can present and talk on a topic, Well, does not mean that you can write on it well because there's a level of depth required when you write, and a level of organ, like you said, organization your thoughts when you write, especially if you are being very cautious of writing to your audience. And that's where the skill comes in because taking our backgrounds in, in health and fitness and relaying that and not relying on jargon. Is a skill. So when I taught um, anatomy, I used to teach anatomical kinesiology. I, this is just like sophomores, so like second year, second year students. And I basically was like, "Listen, this is, you will learn a brand new language in this class. Like you are some of these terms you you probably know from your high school days, but you're going to spend this entire class learning a whole brand new language." that you would need to use that you can use to communicate with other professionals. Uh, when you, if you use that language for people who don't understand it, it is, it, it is almost literally that another language they don't understand. So if you're using anatomical terminology, if you're even using names of, of specific muscles, if you're using planes of motion terminology, all of that stuff is literally another language to them. And I think, when can, when talking with you know more of the lay audience you've got to have that top of mind and to another great thing you said the better you understand it the easier it actually is to convey it not relying on jargon because you understand all of the underlying principles and that sets you up better for maybe coming up with other ways to explain something maybe using a more common term that still gets at the heart of what you mean what you're trying to convey but if you can't go to that depth that level of understanding maybe you don't understand it well enough to to explain it that's just something i've i've found so just just as another kind of thing i used to do when i i used to also teach nutrition and nutrition obviously has a ton of jargon to it and and you know biochemical terms and things like that One of the assignments I gave to my students at the end of the semester, and this I think was for sports nutrition, is the end of the semester, we would do like a consulting, you know, athlete consulting little, little unit. And I gave them like a topic. So carbohydrates, protein, fat, whatever it may be. And I said, you've got to craft an athlete education, like five slide PowerPoint. And, you know, you are not allowed to use the jargon. Like you have to prove to like, you got to explain this in a way that a high school athlete's going to understand. And so that was really, really challenging for them. So, you know, if they learned all these terms that went along with metabolism, they weren't allowed to use anymore. They would literally like, look at me and be like, coach, I don't know what word to use. What, what do you want me to do? And I said, all right, just think about what are the important aspects of this? Like what? What? What are the main tenets of what you're trying to convey? How do you explain that using different words? And that, you know, it obviously never ended up perfect. And, and I'll be fully upfront. This is something I ab- absolutely still need to work on. And I still work on all the time. But, oh, yeah, it's a constant constant process. Yeah. But a, something that I needed my students to understand before they left that class even if they didn't you know obviously get it get it 100% they they understood the concept so with with that like was there did you ever get any specific feedback from from either people you're writing for or an outlet or somebody maybe who read a, a piece of your work where that was front and center where maybe an editor said "Shane man this is not hitting this is not going to land you need to change these things" Or maybe someone who gave you feedback and read it and they're like, Shane, I, I didn't really understand this article. Did that ever happen to you? Or did you ever have any experiences like that that really gave you the wake-up call? Or was it, again, just something that you realized you needed and worked
1: on? That's a good question. I mean, I've been reamed lots of times by that is Obviously, when you're in, when you're right, you do. My my biggest thing, the, the, the issue is besides the grammatical errors, which I make a lot of still, was just not explaining yourself enough. Because you know yeah. what you mean. You write it down yeah. and you, you, you understand it because it's perfectly clear to you, but it's not perfectly clear to the person who reads it. So the, the real thing my editors got on to me is you have to explain everything. Because basically, the reader doesn't understand. You understand it. It's coming from your head. You'd understand it because you're a coach. But to you know, Joe Blow Lifter in the gym, it's like, what the heck is he talking about? So it's not so much the jargon per se, it's basically
0: mm-hmm.
1: fleshing it out, explaining your thoughts. So the, the reader will understand it. That and the grammatical errors are the two biggest things that I've been going the whole. Of, and you don't know until they make that criticism. So being right. aware of it makes me much more aware when I write to not only to explain it simply, but to actually just explain it. Period, and not just making a statement and just leaving right. it out there. And, and and the people who are reading are going, "What the heck is he talking about?"
0: As an as an editor. That I'd say is the vast majority of the things I call out in manuscripts is you've got to flush this out more, or it's, it's gotta be explained in a way that the reader's going to understand something later or, you know, something got, got skipped over. And that is a huge challenge of writing because (laughs) as you know, you can, it just takes a ton of mental energy. To really flesh something out like that, and you can spend a really long amount of time, and then you look at your page and you're like, "Oh my gosh, that was only a couple hundred words." It's- now, compare this compare this to fate like uh, verbal communication. That's I think where writing and communicating verbally somewhat diverge, because writing you're talking about you're talking about explain it, flesh it out, things like that. But when we're talking to our clients, I'm thinking like in in a session or I'm thinking about the five to 10 minutes I would have athletes before a session, conciseness and brevity are your friend. And you almost would have to be like, okay, how do I convey all these things in the most succinct way possible? Is that something you would agree with? Or what is your take on that?
1: We're going to go, we're going to delve back into those three learning pathways was it a kinesthetic, visual, and auditory? So when you're, it's the old t- tell show do right? That's what I remember from getting started by the tell show. <laughs> so when I'm verbally having to explain something, even online to a client or in person, actually giving them visual cues is the biggest thing mm. the, the, to, to match the verbal. So they can just go, okay, because you know, I have a big problem when I read how to do an exercise, like in an article, but they don't show me how to do it. I'm left scratching my head. Right? You can have the best explanation on how to do an exercise step by step. I will read it and go, I don't know how to do what? it. Give me a video. I can see right. it along with the explanation. And then you got right. it. Okay, i got it then. So I think that's the same with clients when you, or with athletes when you, when you're talking to them verbally, is to do both. Is to tell them what to do and show them what to do. They got it, right? So I think having having visual cues to match your words in 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 that you're talking verbally to a client or to your athletes is important, right? because that just shortens the learning curve.
0: Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, 100% from a writing perspective, if you were to explain something in writing in a way that you painted the most clear mental picture ever, no one's going to read all that. Like no one's going to read every like every single step of the That's way. True. You're just going to lose lose people that way.
1: True. Explaining how to do an exercise in words is also mm. a skill. Yeah. I mean, I've been doing it a while, while I've got reasonable at it. But when you when you have to sit down and explain how an ex- how to do an exercise just in words, it's a challenge.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Because brevity again is your friend. Sorry. Like, bre- well, this all this, but this all falls under the umbrella of like we're we're talking about yeah. communication here and what's going to make our communication the most impactful, and what's going to make the most really like change. Like that's, if we're, if we're talking about exercise instruction or we're trying to correct something or whatever, we're, we're looking for a change to occur. So what we say needs to elicit that. So, yeah. so just, you know, what are, what are, I mean, is there anything, I guess maybe the top one or two things or over the years that from, from a exercise explanation standpoint, again, face-to-face, like what are some big Take home things for that trainers can think about when they're explaining exercises.
1: I think I think the biggest thing is drawing parallels to the activities of daily living, right? Say, particularly say w- with a hinge when you pick up something from the ground. It's just you know, say pushing the butt back with your like when you shut the door with your butt, push it back, boom, shut the door, that kind of thing. Having that I think helps a lot, particularly when having to having to learn a movement for the first time um drawing those their activities of daily living, so they not only know the exercise part but they know how it applies to their to their daily lives, obviously in your realm with the athlete, drawing a parallel to what they do on the field to what the exercise will help them do on the field. That will give them that light bulb moment, so they think, "Well, this exercise is useless. What am I doing it for?" But when they know that doing MB and B is going to translate to C on the field, they're like, "Okay, I got it." Right. So, same but different with an athlete and or and or a client. I think I think that's it. that's that's the biggest thing for a coach, right? It's just drawing that drawing those parallels and how it's gonna make them better.
0: You set up like the last area I wanted to go up go really, really well. But before we get there, I just I do just want to highlight the fact that, you know, this podcast is the, the the word connection in the title is very deliberate in the fact that I'm trying to connect people to other professionals, but I'm also trying to help connect the dots, so to speak, in the realm of of performance. And what you just described and, and outlined actually aligns with, by the time this releases, two previous episodes, at least, in the fact that this, this idea of relating a movement to a common activity or daily, of daily living or relating a movement to something that the, the person you're talking to will already be familiar with. So Elijah Muhammad talked about this when teaching the Olympic lifts. And at the time of this recording, the episode's not released yet. But Merrick Lincoln, we our episode was on this exact topic of teaching exercise technique. Yeah, I did. Yeah, oh, and no talked about at length. We talked about this. So here's here's a connect the dots moment. We've got now three guests who have highlighted this thing. It might be important, <laughs> you know, like it might be something like it might be a thing that you know multiple people from yeah. multiple backgrounds are saying. <laughs> That that's an important aspect, I think. Then that that people need to pay attention to.
1: People need to listen to that Merrick Lincoln episode. That dude's... he's also <laughs> a bit of a nerd. Like, he will hear me say this, so and I'm perfectly fine with him. So i give him my heart's time. out because he's a, he's a, he's a jargon he's yes, a jargon he... guy because he holds a, he holds a similar position mm-hmm. to what yep, he used to do. exactly, yeah. Because he's, yep. he, he's a professor. But uh, me, me and Merrick connected because of a podcast I did with Andrew Coates. So that's how I got connected with Merrick. Merrick Merrick's a smart awesome. guy. Yeah,
0: he's a definitely smart guy.
1: Yeah, he's very precise yes. and
0: very accurate. And also understands this aspect too of you know when these things matter when when conveying the information. So definitely yeah. go back and listen to Merrick's episode, Elijah's episode. There's great stuff in there from a coaching perspective. And so the the last area I want to go here. Is is making things like matter to people, and we're we're touching on it here because like we're 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 talking about the salience of why they should do something a certain way, or why like this exercise is included in their program, or you know making them try to understand why a certain technique is 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 important. But there's another aspect here that hits at the behavior change in the way that we communicate of like. Mm -hmm. All right, Shane's writing about this exercise or he's writing about the benefits of doing this type of activity or he's doing you know writing about why I should do an inverted row a certain way. But like well, ultimately why do I care? Why should I care? Why should I implement this in my life? Why should I you know make these changes? And that's a huge hurdle when it comes to coaching. And athletes yeah, because athletes are people, but I would say in in the, in the more the the personal yeah. training area um, realm maybe is a, the most salient and most important because you're largely dealing with, dealing with people's long-term health. Like that's, you know, I don't want to put goals in people's heads, but like that's the overarching goal of why someone might go seek out a personal trainer is because they need to make a lifestyle change or they want to, or they have those things in mind. So when it comes to you know really making things matter to people or making things you know resonate with them in in terms of changing their lifestyle or adding fitness and adding health into their lifestyle what what are some things that we need to think about from from communication and and in, in that aspect
1: oh that's a that's a really juicy one isn't it <laughs> because i first i think with a with the athletic population, it's easy for them because they know that retraining and the eating translates into performance. So when you're dealing when you're dealing with people who don't really care about performance so much, they care about, you know, look and buff. So losing weight, gaining muscle, moving better, all that kind of stuff. So having getting basically like I said before, trying to to get them to do stuff when performance isn't a goal is is hard. It, 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 it's difficult. So I listened to a talk, mm. the Razor Bar Fitness Conference, with Tony Genicor and his wife, who's a psychologist, and she suggested people who are ambivalent about change and when they, you know... Personal trainers and coaches get general population clients saying, you know, I ate terrible on the weekend, I didn't do it. Like a priest. (laughs) Um, As coaches, we don't know, right? And then we react in a way that's not great. We lose a client or whatever. They sit back in their old behaviors and you're like, they just didn't want it hard enough. They didn't want it. Obviously, because you know we're great, we've got all the knowledge. We know how to do <laughs> this, and why can't they do it? Right? We don't know that we don't because we, we don't. We, we haven't walked in a mile in that other person's shoes. We haven't experienced that, so we don't know how to react when somebody doesn't want it as much as we do. Right? So we learn from that, and when we know better, we do better.
0: <laughs> no, it makes it makes a ton of sense, and. Man, I, you make me think of a very specific client I, I had, one of my first clients as a, when I was a personal trainer, and he'd he'd come in almost every Monday Monday and just talk about. I mean, he wasn't really regretful, but he'd talk about like you know the, all the beer he drank over the weekend and and basically just all the, the the lifestyle choices. I'm not sure why he thought like, hey, I want to tell my personal trainer this, but he did. And I got, so I got over time,
1: <laughs>
0: but like over time I got, I got offended. Like I, I was just like, dude, in my, in my head, I'm like, Oh my gosh, man. Like, don't you understand what you're doing? And, and it, it definitely got to a point where I w I got a little just like frustrated with him and that frustration would kind of seep through. And I can't remember the specifics, but I I wish I just would have kind of let it slide off. Honestly, like it would, I wish I'd have been more like, okay, well, that's what happened. Let's just, you know, let's, let's roll with today and let's do the best we can today because I don't know where he was at in his, his behavior change journey. You know, not everyone's at the same spot and like me getting frustrated and mad at him wasn't helping anything it wasn't going to help anything it was just going to make him not like me to be honest it wasn't and so i wish i would have just kind of you know let him exist where he was at on the spectrum of behavior change supported him the best way that i could did what's best for him and our time together and then you know maybe down the road he would have been like hey cory like I, I i really want to start to decrease the drinking or i really want to do better on the weekends or whatever whatever it was but if I was mad at him or whatever if I was like thinking he just didn't he just was like didn't want to change for whatever reason he's never going to come to me with that stuff he's just going to be like well Corey isn't going to listen to me so why would I why would I open up to him why would I come to him with what I'm really feeling and And I'll, I will say like, as someone who has worked primarily with athletes, athletes are, are the same, like are very similar and it's easy to think that it's easier for them. But Shane, I'll tell you, like, let me tell you, like when I was at grad school, I was at Nebraska division one university, I was sports dietitian intern, you know, we had everything, everything you could possibly imagine that, that was given to these athletes for, for their performance. And one of my jobs as an intern, obviously, was to like, make post-workout shakes for, for these athletes. And they had, you know, per meeting with the dietitian and per their, their goals as an athlete, the, the football players fall, fell into one of three three categories, weight gain, weight, weight loss, or weight maintenance. And we made a, a tailored shake for them every single day for them to, to drink after lifting. All they had to do was really walk 20 feet out of the weight room, grab their shake, and drink it. I, I kid you not, we probably threw away over half of them every single day. And I was a division three athlete. I was a D3 athlete. And I'm thinking, you knuckleheads. I had to buy everything. I, if I wanted a protein shake, if I wanted a weight gainer, if I wanted whatever it was, I had to use my own money and you were literally getting it handed to you. You didn't even, you didn't even have to make it. And not only that, it's tailored to you, like what you need. And that to me right there highlighted more than anything that just because it's there, just because the option is there, if they aren't, if the the athlete or the person is not invested intrinsically for for whatever reason, like maybe they didn't understand the importance of nutrition, maybe they honestly, maybe it could, I've seen athletes who didn't even love the sport they were playing. They just did it because they got paid. I've seen athletes, all these things are, are, are embedded in why people make decisions, why people make decisions. So yeah, that's just an interesting anecdote for athletes. Cause it is, it's easier to think like, oh, well, you've got like a goal, you've got championships, you're part of a team, you want to win, but, but those aren't always the drivers for people. And, and I think actually athletically, sometimes it, it actually down the road long-term is very detrimental because for the duration of their career, they might be white knuckling it for four to eight to whatever, however many years to make these choices and these decisions for the sake of something they may not be intrinsically motivated to do. They just do it because they think they have to. And then when they get out of the sport, they're just, it it is all, everything goes. So a little different situation. I think some of the concepts hold true, but I think like this type of stuff is critically, critically important for any coach and trainer to understand. And I love that you mentioned Lisa, Dr. Lisa Lewis, cause she, I, I, I got to hear her speak at the 2022 raise the bar and just some of the things she said, what was, I just thought was so, so good. And like letting someone sit with ambivalence, letting them exist there. And, kind of not judging where they're at on the behavior change spectrum. I think that's where I, if, if I could boil everything down, that's what I would just kind of in a statement. Don't judge where they're at, work with work with where they're at. And then I think that sets everyone up for the best chances of success long-term. Well, Shane, man, this, is, this has been great. People want to follow you. Where can they find you? And yeah, just tell people how they can uh, learn more.
1: Uh, my website is com. My Instagram mm-hmm. is Outback mm-hmm. Performances. Also on Facebook, Shane.McLean.18. That's where I put most of my stuff is on Facebook. That's where that's the the three main places people can find me. Obviously, you can find me on Muscle and Fitness, Garage Gym Reviews, Breaking. Mu- I'm not going to. No, that's 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 enough. And we're not going to brag about how many places I wrote for. But yeah, you can, you, can, you can find me.
0: Yeah, if you follow Shane on any of those outlets, you will you will instantly know how, how uh, prolific he is on, on the writing front because he shares a lot and it's awesome. It's all great content. And Shane, man, I just appreciate your time today.
1: Thank you, Corey. Thank you for having me on.
0: Thank you for listening to the Performance Connection podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, please leave a review, share on social media, and on Instagram, tag at Performance Connection Podcast, all one word. The content of this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. It is not intended to diagnose, treat, or cure any medical condition. Thanks again, and I hope you'll keep listening or check out other episodes.